Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. talk about her book just do nothing um as you can see i've with all my post-it notes i love it i i I love this book oh thank Um, you it's if you haven't read it guys i would highly recommend it it takes it didn't take me very long um the way you recommend reading it is kind of um absorbing a part kind of working on the exercise Uh recording your wins and then coming back and going on i will admit i didn't do that because i was preparing for this Mm -hmm. but i do plan on going back and as you can see i've flagged a couple of exercises i need to work on um but anyway the book is just do nothing a paradoxical guide to getting out of your way and if you haven't met her already joanna hardis our friend is uh, a, a cognitive behavioral therapist based in cleveland um, who specializes in anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorders. Hi, welcome back. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm uh, so excited for this. Oh, good, good, good. So what's so funny about this is looking at myself from the, you know, objective third person. I was like, you know, I don't really suffer from anxiety. I I don't really have intrusive thoughts. But this will be so helpful for the people in my life and for... The people who listen to the podcast, I, I think this would be really helpful. And as I'm reading it, I was like, oh, I do that. Oh, oh, that's me. Oh, really? <laughs> so I realized I, I, this was very helpful to me personally because I was it helped me, even though, you know, I think I've got all my shit sorted. Um, I recognize things that I hadn't recognized before. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. very helpful to kind of just see the different behaviors. And so I really love that. I mm-hmm. love this is not a dry book, you guys. This is this is personal. You tell your story and how you kind of came to this awareness about doing nothing mm-hmm. in the face of anxiety. Um, I won't I won't give away any spoilers, um, but because of that, it's not dry. It's not clinical. Thank you. There's a lot of humor. Thank you. You and I share pet peeves about these toxic positivity. Oh gosh. Word art things, you know. Yes. No, what is it? No bad vibes or good good, good vibes, vibes only. only. Things like that. Vibrate so high. I, yeah, I love that you like you named chapters of these <laughs> things. It's so yes. funny. So funny. Um, and I also love that you offer kind of an explanation of what's happening so you can like me identify what's going on. 
you give strategies and techniques to help allow um, these feelings and how to get through. And then what I really love is at the end, you're going to, you say, this is how you're going to fuck up. These are all the ways you're going to mess up and what to do when that happens. Oh, part two. Sure. Now, yes. I love that. Because how many self-help books are just like, just do this thing and everything's solved. And Absolutely. Right. And then there, yes. but there's, and then people mess up and then they have these terrible thoughts about themselves and they say, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And then they give up. Right. So I love that you kind of were like, okay, but in reality, this is what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I made a bunch of notes as you can see. <laughs> so I just thought oh, I would kind of share the stuff I love. I can't wait. Um, and so here are the two things, uh, well, three things really that I noticed about myself in this because it's all about me, right? You talked about when kids are uncomfortable with their pain, being the people pleasers and moms that we are, you want to solve it. I'm a, I always want to solve people's problems and especially with my kids, but I realize I do it with my friends and I've really had to teach myself to just listen and be there with them, not, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. fix it. It's still really hard for me to do, and sure. I actually verbalize. I say, "Well, the the fixer in me wants to tell you how to fix this or what you should do, but I'm I'm not going to do that because you're not asking me to." Like I literally have to verbalize it. Me too. Sure. Okay. Good. So, <laughs> it's really hard. And then the other thing is, growing up in school and even now, um, if I'm like in a situation where there's a speaker or a teacher or something. And they ask for questions or volunteers. If there's silence in the room, that is very painful to me. I feel like I feel oh. bad for the person and I want to alleviate the distress they oh, may be feeling. So I sure. feel I have to raise my hand and ask the question. And ask the question. Or I have to volunteer because mm -hmm. no one else is doing it. And this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was at one of my business networking groups and... Uh, someone asked for mentors to, to volunteer and the person looked right at me and I am, I'm busy. I'm sorry. I can't do it right now. And I, and, and so I had to, you know, I know my boundary right now. I can't do extra things. And so I was looking right at her and I didn't, I didn't respond. I didn't, you know, raise my hand and it was painful for me to do that. I felt very uncomfortable, right? but I knew I had to keep that boundary and it passed and other people volunteered. Lo and behold, other people raised right. their hands. So that was interesting. So I wanted to start uh, with a little excerpt from page 17 because I think it really matches the whole impetus of this podcast. Okay. I'm curious what it is. It's about practice and repetition. Okay. And building neural pathways. Mm -hmm. So you may know my story about how I said no to one thing every day beginning in 2019. Yes, yes. Because it was so hard yes. for me to say no. And it, was, it had to be little tiny things. Right. Right. Before you start teaching how to recognize the different kinds of anxiety and intrusive thoughts and things and, and how to go about dealing with them or not dealing with them, <laughs> you say... These skills are meant to be practiced as often as you possibly can. We cannot lay new neural pathways, which is what we're trying to do, without a ton of practice and repetition. I cannot stress this enough. If you want to stop overthinking and letting your feelings control you, it will require intentional practice and repetition. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Well, and, and I want to 
I want to back up a couple steps. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I just raced in. So I'm I'm a therapist that specializes in anxiety disorders and OCD. And anyone who's read the book knows I've struggled with different iterations of an anxiety disorder. But this book is not just for people who struggle with anxiety disorders. Right. So my premise is that any feeling that's unpleasant or uncomfortable... Mm -hmm that we struggle to experience. So that is, so that's why this book I really think is for anybody. So it could be- 100%, like I don't have an anxiety disorder. uh I feel my, I'm feeling very well adjusted. I may be full of myself, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like I, I, I do have these moments where I'm very uncomfortable and it causes me to do something that I then later regret. And I didn't realize that was what was part of your conversation right. until I read this. Right. So. You know, the book is un- really how to change our relationship with distress right. and discomfort under which we can find worry, we can find anxiety, we can find panic, we can also find boredom. Right. We can find embarrassment, we can find shame, we can find vulnerable. vulnerable. Um, so it's really any feeling or sensation that we don't like how it feels. Right. Right. And because that can propel people, just like you said, to, without even realizing it, to act in ways that they get in their way. Right. For instance, a lot of people who don't go to the gym, I mean, and everyone now, I hate it, but is talking about these new year, new me, bullshit. But it's not (laughs) a bad thing. But like a lot of people that don't go to the gym it, it or, or or struggle with their eating resolutions. It may not be because they're anxious. Right. It may be because they're bored and they eat because out of boredom. Right. So they have to learn how to do bored differently. Right. And so that's why, again, it's still learning how to do bored differently, which requires a ton of practice mm-hmm. and repetition not falling back into those habits right. Right, right right and doing something differently when they get bored other than going and eating because that's what they've always done right. or scrolling on their phone sure or going yeah. on social media yeah or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and so the third thing i was going to talk about for me was was that i um I'm heavier than I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never really been into fitness. Um, I've always aspired to, but never got around to it. Mm-hmm. I have fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain mm-hmm. thing. So one of the things they say that helps with chronic pain and fibromyalgia is movement. Sure. But then when you do it and you move, it hurts. Right. <laughs> and so, And so as I was reading this, I, I recognized that I'm in my comfort zone when I'm not exercising. And I'm worried about the pain and not being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's not like I'm having a major problem per se. I'm mm-hmm. fine. The problem is I'm too fine. I'm too comfortable. Yes. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to go out in the cold. I don't, you know, whatever it is. Yes. So that's something I have to work on. Right. Right. Yeah. A comfort zoner. Yeah. <laughs> Just avoiding it because I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm making. So it's hard to change when you're comfortable. Yes. That's one of the chapters is, is you know, I, I, I you know, put in different categories to right. help people identify what might, what might be getting in their way. And for a lot of people, 
being comfortable can get in people's way. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to change. Yeah. Despite what all the influencers and all the, you know, yeah. all the people that we hear on, uh, on a lot of podcasts say, it is very hard to change. It takes, right. and it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not right. sexy. It's a slog. Right. Um, but, you know, I think staying the same often causes people, perhaps suffering may be too strong in some cases, but that's not easy either in right. the long run. Right. So one of your exercises in here is is it talks about making a list of like what's the positive for doing it mm. and the negative for doing it and what's the positive and negative not doing it sure. like and understanding your why and where you want to go sure so that's that's I, I that has a red flag of all these different <laughs> flags I love uh, that. because I'm going to work on it um, I found that very interesting so again it's not necessarily I'm not having a crisis an anxiety disorder crisis. But I'm realizing I'm a little bit stuck. And you and you say a couple of times, if you're reading this, there's a space between where you are now and where you want to be. And I love the way you phrase that. It's not a judgment. It's not a you're doing anything wrong. It's just you're not where you want to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you talk about, and I think this relates to what you were just saying, is that sometimes... When we're having this uncomfortable feeling, we don't like it, whether it's boredom or whatever, is we put solutions in place to stop feeling that feeling. And you say what we do, what we think is helping eventually becomes our real problem. The leaving, avoiding, drinking, sleeping, overthinking, shutting down, procrastinating, all the coping behaviors become the problem. And ironically, we generally do these things to avoid feeling something unpleasant or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, again, I'm going to take three steps back. Okay. A little primer on thoughts and feelings. Oh, yeah. That's in here. I just put it in the wrong order. Oh, it is? That's good. Keep going. We're on well, the same page. I think That's it good. helps to explain. Yeah. I think that helps to explain, uh, explain a little bit better. Because people get confused because, yeah. and I hear this a lot, um, we, there's a difference between having a thought and yes. thinking. Yes. I love this. You do. Okay. So yeah. this is okay. Okay. So we cannot control what thoughts pop in our heads. Right. And so that is having a thought. So anyone who has ever sat quietly or meditated or been bored, you notice like the thoughts that pop up in your head and they're random. They may be strange. They may be um, distressing. distressing. They may be distracting. They may be, um, you know, they may be uh, highly disturbing to someone, to someone else. They're just weird. It's, but it is, we cannot control the presence of that spontaneous thought. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make us a bad person if we have Correct. a thought that we think isn't we think isn't quote unquote normal. Correct. It doesn't mean anything about us that we had this thought pop in our head. Mm -hmm. Thinking, however, is getting hooked, you know, as we say in, in, you know, in my field, it's getting hooked on that thought or engaging with it. So say you have a random thought that pops up, you know, you're driving down the highway. This is when we always say in my feet in the anxiety field, I could, you know, the thought pops up, I could drive my car off the bridge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very common thought. If you say, oh my gosh, why did I have that thought? What does that mean about me? Do I really want to kill myself? Mm -hmm. What am I, am I suicidal? Am I a horrible person? What does it mean? 
That is thinking. And you're choosing to engage with the thought and choosing to it play those scenarios out. Right. It may not feel like it's it's conscious or an intentional choice, but it is something that it is in our control. Right. And oftentimes, most people are just going so fast and on automatic, it just happens. And it's married with so much adrenaline that it's just like, they're just off to the races. So, so I, I say that because we have to know that there is a distinction between the presence of something and a behavior. Right. Same with a feeling or a, a sensation in our body. We cannot control a sensation in our body, which is our brain like releasing a stress hormone that then we that then we feel. The problem is, is that most people feel a sensation and attach a story to it and they're off to the races. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we really cannot control the presence of that sensation. So say you, you say something happens, you know, a car pulls out in front of you and you feel that that jolt of adrenaline, your heart starts beating and you know you say oh my gosh i feel so anxious we can't control that okay now if you're someone who attaches a story to how that feels that's going to be different um but what uh, what people especially a lot of people do especially if they're prone to an anxiety disorder they may say why am I feeling why am I feeling like this? Why am I thinking this? Why is it why am I feeling so intensely? Mm-hmm. Why am I having this thought? You know, what does this mean? And they may start worrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they'll say, "Oh my gosh, what does this mean? Why am I worrying? Why was my heart beating so fast?" Yeah. You know, I swear, I, you know, it could be something cardiac. So they'll go to Google and they'll start researching. Right. For instance, and then Google's going to make them more worried, of course. more worried. And then they're going to, you know, seek reassurance from a friend or call a doctor. And that probably won't do it for them. And so they're going to replay it in their head. And the next time they feel that sensation, they're going to compare it. And all of these things, all the Googling and all the overthinking of the sensation and all the reassurance seeking is actually making them more anxious. Right. So that, what they think is helping, Googling, seeking reassurance, worrying, talking about it, actually makes them more anxious. And if we're getting into the what happens to the brain, it is marking in the brain that this is something we need to be paying attention right, to because this right. person is spending a whole lot of time right. and energy focused on this. So the thing we just talked about, how you have to practice things to build neural pathways, you can do this negatively in a way that's harmful to exactly. yourself by spending all this exactly. energy thinking exactly. about Exactly. That's yeah. how people yeah. become kind of lost in their sauce or get stuck in these, uh, these worry spirals or depression spot you know mm-hmm. sadness spirals or panic spirals or shame spir- whatever the spiral mm-hmm. that's it, that's happening is mm-hmm. because 
they are, whatever they think is helping. And of course, in the moment, it feels like they may be doing something because they just want to get rid of that feeling. Mm -hmm. But unintentionally, they're pouring gas on it. Right. You say the the more you try to control those feelings, the, the more they persist. Exactly. So what we want to learn how to do is how do we learn to accept what we're feeling and not make it worse? Mm -hmm. That's the that's the just do nothing. Right. Well, there are lots of ways you talk about doing this. One of the ways I like the analogy I like is is you think of intrusive thoughts as like a puppy you're trying to do leash training with mm -hmm. and how they wander off and you rein them back and then they wander off and they rein them back and you just keep doing it. It's to bring yourself back to to what you're supposed to be thinking about or whatever. Can you can you describe that a little more? Sure. I don't know if I <laughs> summarize that very well. Well, it's not just for in it's it's to start training our attention to go where we want it to go. Right. Because when someone is distressed, whether they're in whether they're in an anxiety spot, whatever the spiral is, you know, they are being controlled by their feelings or their thoughts. Right. So I use the anal and so what we want to do is we want to get back in the driver's seat. Right. And so I use the analogy of a puppy. Like our brain is like a puppy that is untrained. And and so we have to train the puppy to heal. And anyone who has ever trained a puppy how to heal you know, knows about the consistency and the repetition. So an anxious, I use anxious just because that's most familiar to me, an anxious brain is going to go to, you know, probably to the future. Yep. And it will go to try and make sense of whatever is happening and connect dots that shouldn't be be connected. And so what we have to learn how to do is how do we shift our awareness and our attention out of that story, out of that worry yeah. into something that's actually happening, out of the what if into the what is. Yeah. And that is metaphorically choking up on the leash and that gentle, that gentle yank of, nope, we're you know, right here next to me. Mm -hmm. And it is that practice of getting better at noticing when your mind is starting to wander and bringing it back and wander and bringing it back and coming back to something that is actually happening. Right. And it takes, you know, it, and I encourage people to start. You don't start this when you're anxious. You have to start practicing this. And this is why I encourage people to sit and set a timer and get bored yeah, and yeah. start practicing this stuff. Right. I have tried meditation many times. Not many times. A dozen times, let's say. Okay. <laughs> That's not very many. That's not very many. No. <laughs> and the thing I, you know, I have ADHD. So the thing I struggle with are the wandering thoughts. And, I, you know, it goes into like, I should be doing this. and the, Yeah. The, yeah. So normal. And, um, and so that I found that very helpful. Um, and so that's one of the things I intend to start practicing, even mm -hmm. if it's just to practice controlling my thoughts a little bit, you know, not controlling, controlling, sure. but you know what I mean. Like sure. Bringing, bringing it back, back. Bringing it back. Bringing yeah. it back. Yeah. yeah. Think of that like bicep curls because the strength is in the return. It doesn't matter. 
that your mind is wandering. It right, doesn't matter right. how many times your mind wanders. It, think of your your brain as like a Jack Russell Terrier. It just <laughs> wants to keep wandering. Yeah. That's fine. That you're, There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. Just bring it back. So the strength is in just keep bringing it back. And every time you bring it back, it's like you've done another rep. Yeah. Well, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were kind of describing future tripping a little bit. You call it future tripping, where you kind of tell yourself the story of all the things that are going to happen. And um, there's someone in my life who um, does this or has done this on occasion, not necessarily because of a bad thing that happened. Like a decision was made or a new, a new stage of life happened or a purchase was made or something. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a good thing, right? But then there's sort of like this, what did I do? What did I get myself into? Was this the right decision? Now all these bad things are going to happen. This storytelling starts happening mm -hmm. and this movie starts playing in their head. And then they're like, yeah. why am I like this? Why am I thinking this? there's something wrong with me? Do I need to go to the doctor? Like, why am I always doing this? Like, it just is meta thoughts. We yeah, call yeah, those yeah, meta thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so this can happen in all different kinds of ways, in all different of kinds of directions, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, and as and the other thing you talk about is um, this again the stories we tell ourselves. So one of the things you talk about is there's a woman you talk about who's very not very self confident or whatever, and you said to her, you know, um, what would you do if you were confident? And mm -hmm. she, she said, I would make eye contact. I'd stand up straighter. I would, and then do through doing those thought exercises, she was able to then do those things. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me <laughs> of. Many years ago, I um, had this sort of crazy campaign where I tried to do this thing and I founded a nonprofit and all this. And I had to like go meet the governor and I had to go speak in public and do all these things I'd never done uh -huh. before. And it was terrifying. I was the kind of person who if I had to stand up and talk at work, like I would get all sweaty mm -hmm. and nervous and stuff. So I had to figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I told the story of today, the role of Heather Drago will be played by... Heather Drago. And I, I was like a that. whole other persona. And I'm going to just pretend I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I know and I'm confident doing this. Even though I'm not, I'm going to just put this little shell around myself and like this coat and and just pretend that, mm -hmm. I, that I'm comfortable doing this. And did I collapse when I got home? Yes. But after a while of doing that, it's be, it's become... Like I could walk into a room and talk to anybody. I could stand up on mm -hmm. a stage and talk. I don't. It, not, it doesn't bother me anymore. Mm -hmm. Took a while. Mm -hmm. Took many instances of just doing that. Yes. Um, and seeing what happened, uh, I thought that was very interesting. Yes. That you touched on. Yes. We, oftentimes, and and this is why talk therapy for someone who talk therapy for especially people with anxiety disorders can. Um, be you know you know contraindicated mm -hmm. because we need the behavioral piece. It is through behavior change, exactly as you talk about, mm -hmm. that then through the act of doing things differently, that your perception, your thoughts can change. Mm -hmm. But talking about it, so when people get stuck in talk therapy, especially when they have an anxiety disorder, it, it they get stuck. Because mm -hmm. all that talking, it may eventually lead to some behavior change, but 
it may not. Mm -hmm. and it's just another form of ruminating, right? It can be, yes, especially yeah. for an anxiety disorder. So we really, you're right that we want the behavior, we want to try different things because that's our best teacher. Mm -hmm. And then through that, you we, we can change the stories we tell ourselves, we can change our perception about what we can do. And for a lot of people, they want to do it. It's just you know, you were able to work through all the feelings you felt inside. For a lot of people, those feelings and what they're feeling inside can stop them dead in their tracks. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason I could is I had a very strong why. Uh -huh. I had a mission okay. I was on. And I was like, I'm willing to go through this mm -hmm. discomfort because I know what I'm trying to achieve. Right? I see. Now, yes. did I ultimately succeed? No, but it led me down some other paths and some other successes. So mm -hmm. it ended up being a win anyway. Okay. But but that was like I had a clear vision of why I was doing this. So can you talk about that, about the why and understanding? Yes, that makes a lot of sense why you were willing to get out of your comfort zone too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it ties into what we were talking about before, which is behavior change is hard. Yeah. So to change our behavior in any measurable way is incredibly difficult. And to do things that scare us, to do things that are hard, to do things that take us out of our comfort zone is hard. So it helps to lock into our why or, you know, what's on the other side. Because when our back is against the wall, mm -hmm. it, we need to be able to lock into something bigger than us. And it has to be bigger than, I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. because, I want to lose 20 pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's not enough. Yeah, That is not enough. And I hear that all, you know, I hear that all the time. I, you know, I want to feel better. And like, of course, we all want to feel better. But that's not enough that when you're really, when you're at that fork in the road, you want, you need a reason to keep going. Right. And so that becomes your why. And it could be... um you know, it, it, everybody's why is different. And oftentimes people don't change until, you know, their back is against the wall. Right. You, ha you have to have a, re and it doesn't have, everyone's reasons are different and there's no judgment about the reason. Right. Um, but I think you know, that always becomes one of the, for in our, in the first, anytime I meet with someone, that always becomes something that we talk about in the first or second session. And I can tell pretty quickly if someone's, if someone has a, if I think that someone has a compelling enough reason or if someone doesn't have a compelling mm -hmm. enough reason. Mm -hmm. We'll be back shortly with Joanna Hardis. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, What's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually makes sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. 
We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. And we're back. So Joanna, the, the premise of this book has to do with distress intolerance and distress and building distress tolerance, yes. right? Yes. Um, so why don't you start there and, and tell us at a high level kind of what these concepts mean and how you approached the book. Sure. And so distress tolerance is a well-known construct in, in the field of mental health. And, and it's got two parts. So it's got the per- someone's perception that they can't tolerate negative internal states. And then the behavioral part where the person will then avoid or try to get rid of those negative internal states. And by internal states, it's you know those feelings that we don't like. Mm-hmm. So distress intolerance is really important because we know from loads of literature that if someone has high distress intolerance, they are more vulnerable to develop a slew of anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, eating disorders, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So it is not the primary cause of those problems, but it is a contributing factor. If someone says, I can't possibly, I can't stand feeling this way, so I'm gonna avoid. Mm-hmm. Or I can't, I can't bear, bear to do that. I can't bear to feel that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to drink or I'm going to watch Netflix. And so it's a really important concept because it makes people vulnerable and it keeps people stuck. Yeah. I'm thinking about um, people you hear who say, I know I should be doing these things, but I always end up falling back in these same patterns. I'm always making these bad choices. I'm always dating these terrible guys or I always end up so it eating could, the junk food like it's it's it could be I mean and some so something else that we talk about in the book is or I talk about in the book is the function of what drives the fun, function of what drives the behavior mm-hmm. so if what drives the poor decision or the eat or whatever it is is I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling right. I, I I can't possibly feel that way I can't I can't work this through an painful. urge. This is too painful. This is too hard. It's too hard. It's too, I don't like feeling bored. I don't know what to do with myself. And so I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, then, and it becomes a pattern of behavior. It could really interfere. It's not, this is not, distress intolerance is not, sure, there may be an instance where like, oh yeah, I'm just intolerant. Like, I don't want to feel upset. And so I'm going to do this. That wouldn't be what we call clinical distress intolerance. Mm -hmm. But I'm writing this because I want people to be aware of this because I want people to be aware of patterns that may be happening in their lives and A, noticing the patterns, 
B, starting to think about what is driving that? What is the function of my avoiding? What am, what am I trying? Mm-hmm. What am I, am I avoiding something? Or do I think I can't handle something? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they have a name for it and then have a process that they can feel like they can work through difficult feelings and emotions. Yeah. To build that distress tolerance yeah. muscle. Yeah. And instead of worrying, why am I feeling this way? You know, acknowledge I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling this way. It may suck. And I, I know get, how to move through yeah, it. Yeah, I can get through this. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I can ride that wave. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. Thank you. But as I alluded to earlier, like this comes to you from a personal discovery yeah. point of view, yeah. not just as a clinician. Yeah. This is personal to you. You've experienced this. So why don't we back back up a few steps, as you say, and like talk to us about how sort of this concept came to you and, and, you know, how you've, how the book came to be, how the book came to be and how you've applied this in your life. Oh my gosh. This could be three hours. Oh boy. Here we go. Sorry, (laughs) Noah. No one's going home tonight. (laughs) Um, No. I mean, well, the the genesis for the book was that uh, I had been dating someone. I had had a really painful divorce. It's all Mm -hmm. in the book now. I had had a painful divorce about 11 years ago now and was not an experienced dater. You know, I had dated, had dated somewhat, but primarily was raising three kids, 75% by myself, and not an experienced dater and found someone and we had been dating, I think, three months-ish, and all of a sudden got ghosted. We were about to go away for my birthday and out of the blue got ghosted. And it, it it brought up things from when my husband left and it really was a gut punch. And it was so much, it wasn't so much anxiety. I mean, I have a very, you know, I know anxiety disorders very well from struggling with them since I was a kid, but this was, pain and distress and so many other emotions. And through, you know, as I say in the book, my life is so boring. I could not, someone else could have written a book where they had like a healing ceremony and something (laughs) cool happened to them. And the the idea for the book came along. Nothing, that would never happen to me because my life tends to be boring. But (laughs) No, I was just like, I had this moment, I don't even, you know, I was on a run and I was like, this experience is going to be a book. And because people had always recommended, you know, I write a book because I like to write and I've had a blog, but it was really healing. It was, it was that experience Mm -hmm. because I had been exploring uh, this concept, which is really well known in mental health, distress tolerance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we can talk about that. But I was now living that I was really living what I had been teaching and exploring with a colleague of mine in a very personal way. And it wasn't so much anxious feelings, although there was a lot of uncertainty when you've been ghosted, but it was a lot of other feelings that I thought 
you know, a lot of people could resonate with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it broadened the scope of what I was doing. And I had this moment of bravery because I'm a very private person. I'm very introverted. And I had a moment of bravery and decided to put a lot of my life out there into a book. And uh, it was probably the scariest thing I've done. But... I think a lot of people can relate to that experience and or something similar to it. Especially these days, people are like more prone to this ghosting or sure. dual life's kind of thing going right. on. Yeah, it's it's bizarre to me. Right. Um, but people will say, and I had people say to me, okay, you're a therapist. This was several months. You survived what happened, you happened with your husband. Like, what the f***, Joanna? Why is this? And so I think it was that, ex- you know, I think it was that experience that was a head trip for me. Mm-hmm. But it was also, it made it a very real experience and something with which I could connect with Yeah, a lot of, yeah. I, I really, you know, it, it, it really kind of, um, I don't know that it made me, it made my client, I, I connected more with my clients, but it certainly... I have a, such a rich, it brought these skills right back home. Right. As if I needed a yeah. A, yeah. a refresher course, but yeah. I got a, I got the intensive refresher course. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be anxiety. It can be any kind of feeling. It can be a mix of feelings. Yeah. It can be, yeah. It's whatever the feel, as I say in the book, it's whatever the unpleasant or uncomfortable feeling of the moment is. Right, right. Because in the course of a day, I may have 20 different feelings that I don't like how they feel. Right. And so I have a choice. Am I going to try and make it go away? Or right. can I learn how to how to be with it and respond differently to it? Right. So back to my little story about when I learned how to set boundaries. Yes. I mean, the reason I decided um, I needed to do that was because I was just so uncomfortable doing it. It was... It was literally nauseating to me wow um to say no to someone it was i would get sweaty and red and um nervous and anxious i would lay awake at night thinking why did i say yes to this thing when i shouldn't have or this person wants me to do this thing and i want to say no but if i do then what's going to happen and i mean it it was intense it, it was intense and so this is so much like you do in your book you you say put these challenges on a scale what's mm-hmm. from easiest to hardest so I was like, I'm going to try to say no to one thing a day, no matter how mm-hmm. small. And it was really hard. I felt sick doing it sometimes. I hurt feelings doing it sometimes. I mm-hmm. messed up the way I did it sometimes. Um, but it and it took a it took a while and I'm still working on it. You know, I'm still I literally was in a staff meeting today and people were like, we need to cancel some meetings for you. You've got too many meetings on your calendar. Wouldn't that help you? Yeah, <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're they're enforcing it for me, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's still a challenge. It's still I'm still trying to build that neural pathway, you know, yeah. to to learn how to set boundaries. That's why we still do this all the sure. time. Um, as part of the process, right? Yeah. There's no finish line. Yeah. There's no finish line. I yeah. mean, I, I I cannot emphasize that, and I, I with my clients, I emphasize it, but I think. For a broader population, especially with all the nonsense on social media, it you know, 
again, it's not sexy, but there's no finish line. I mean, we make, we can certainly make our life better. We can achieve goals. I'm all for goals. I'm all for self-improvement, but these skills that help make us feel better, we have to continue them to keep feeling better. Right. Right. And it's, you were saying, people were saying to you, like, it's only been a few months and why is yeah. it such a big deal? Don't judge the feelings. Of course. Right? It's That's not for them to decide if it's an important thing or not. Like, right. you feel what you feel. Thoughts are just thoughts. You Feelings are just feelings. Sure. And you're allowed to have them. It's just what you do with them that matters. Right. right? Um, I feel like we could go on for a whole nother 45 minutes, yeah, hours. Yeah, is there anything we didn't cover you want to cover that's in this book you feel is important for people to know? Um, I know there's a lot in here, as you can see from all my little notes. Well, I think, no, I just want people to know that it is, oh, it, it is for anyone that struggles right. with any feeling that they don't like. So it's not just for people who identify themselves as having an anxiety right. disorder. Right. So, but, Yeah. I mean, for sure, I, I, my complacency and, and and me beating myself up all the time about like, why can't I get out of, why can't I just do the thing, this new behavior I want to do? Why can't I just go work out every day? You know, it's, it's that classic new year thing where you start and then you quit. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. why can't I, I've made this decision. I want to do this thing. Why can't I do it? Um, yeah, you've really helped me identify the fact that like I'm too comfortable in my I'm in my comfort zone and I sure. and I'm falling back into patterns. Sure. And so there are lots there are lots of actual exercises to do. I love that you have this area in the back for wins mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behind. And so that's along the same lines of when you say no, you know, you write it down and how you're feeling yes. and what happened and note note, you know, your successes and your failures. Um, I love that you put that in there. and um, That was my daughter and my dad's contribution. Well, that was good. I know. It was good. I was happy to put that in. Yeah, very good. I love this book. I highly recommend oh, it, you guys. You. We're going to have our little book club discussion next week. And um, I can't wait to hear what the gens, the two gens say. I am so curious, too. <laughs> so there's lots of really good tangible advice in here, you guys. And... Um, Really good information just to understand how your brain works. Little scientific nerdy parts, funny parts. Exercises uh, to do. Exercises to do. Um, so I highly recommend. And uh, Joanna, thank you so much for coming thank on again. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, we hope we uh, we get the word out so more people thank can, can uh, benefit. Uh, the audio book is available today. Oh, that's so awesome. So okay. this was a great day to be here. Yeah. Well, I don't know when this recording will actually air, but the audiobook is yeah. yeah. So the audiobook is available. Okay, on Amazon, uh, Audible, and... Amazon and Apple. Perfect. Okay. Just do nothing by Joanna Hardis. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, so that's it for now. Thanks for listening. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, my little agency in Cleveland, in partnership with our friends at Evergreen Podcasts. Many thanks to our amazing team, including Maura Del Rosario, our production and marketing coordinator, Noah Fouts, our amazing producer, editor, and composer who wrote our theme music and performed it with his band, The Big Leagues, and our new video producer and editor, Kay Holmberg. You can find show notes and resources on our website, and you can find other fun stuff on our socials. We're 
Hard No Podcast, and we're now on YouTube, so check us out there. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platforms, but especially Apple. Can you please do us a favor? Give us a rating and review so more people can find us and learn how to say no. So until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it with me. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.